Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him as was, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and they tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he said. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. May the Lord give us understanding of this as David preaches. Wonderful. Well, we come today to uh, continue our series in in Mark's Gospel. Uh, And the title today is Jesus Defending Marriage. Our current day, our current situation that we live in, there are so many people that even want to change the definition of marriage. Uh, from the traditional, I guess the, the long-held view for centuries that one man, one woman coming together uh, in marriage. That's the background to, to where we live today. That very definition of marriage wanting to be changed. But Jesus, as he was tested or challenged in this situation, he affirmed marriage. Marriage as being God's design. God's design from the very beginning of all time. And... Uh, marriage is good. I've got some pictures here from our wedding. This is when uh, Beck and I were married uh, back a few years ago in 2004. Uh, it was a wonderful day, uh, an amazing day. Uh, we had a, a great uh, reception, the bottom picture there around at the, the foothills of Adelaide, an outdoor wedding in the middle of the day. It was quite hot. It was wonderful. And then we had a, a reception up in the hills and a nice big cake to eat as part of the celebration. It was good. We had a wonderful celebration. It was a great way to start our marriage. But of course, that was only the start. Uh, that's, uh, that's over 12 years ago now, and I'm sure people, a lot of people have been married a lot longer than that uh, here as well. It was the start of the journey for the two of us. Uh, two, becoming one flesh, as we saw in the passage. Committing our lives to serve one another. And we made that commitment publicly before all those people there. And of course, before God, we made that commitment. And it's been a blessing to be married. Beck's not here, <laughs> it's a shame, she's out, uh, but it has been good. And, and Beck and I, were thankful for the good role models around us, even in church here, of people who are, who, who are going through marriage, the ups and the downs and blessed. And, and so we're thankful for that. But the reality when it comes to marriage is that there's another side as well. There's a reality of divorce. Here we see some graphs here as we look around Australia, even the statistics here, and they're similar in a lot of Western nations. Uh, it's the divorce rate, as we can see here, 
uh, down the bottom, but the marriage rate here. So um, from the last number of years, uh, quite a few marriages each year. In 2014, which is the, the end of the, the stats at the moment, there were 121,197 marriages that were recorded. Um, but the same year, there were 46,498 divorces. Those are good at maths, that's about 38%. Um, and the reality of the divorces is that 50% of those have got children involved in their situation. These are marriages, of course, that have been finalised in the courts in that particular year. So there is always the, the positive in marriage, but there's also the reality that things don't work out. Uh, divorce happens, it's a reality. Uh, and it's a reminder, of course, that it's Christians and non-Christians alike who get divorced. Sometimes people look out and they think the grass looks greener on the other side. That would look better if change comes about. But of course, with divorce comes heartache and hurt. And of course, it's not only the couple that are impacted. Uh, there's those immediately affected, the children, the extended family. There's our neighbours. Our whole community can be affected by all the divorces are taking place. In churches, in schools, uh, in our community as a whole, there's impacts of divorce. It, it's happening everywhere. And so as we come to Mark chapter 10, the wonderful thing is that Jesus reminds us about the good things. He emphasizes not on divorce, even though he's been questioned about divorce, but he goes to uphold marriage and how good it is and how God has always had a plan for marriage. Because marriage was God's design from the very beginning. From the very start of Genesis, we see marriage being included. From that creation of Adam and Eve, they became married and God had a plan for marriage to continue. And so, uh, as we come to our text in Mark chapter 10, uh, we see this setting uh, with Jesus being tested. The setting here is these Pharisees. They were the experts in knowing the Old Testament law. They memorized big chunks of it, and from an early age they were taught. And so, so much of their time was spent reading parts of the Old Testament, particularly the laws of Moses. And so, they came to test Jesus Christ. Now, you must admit, it's never a good idea to, to question or test out Jesus Christ, because if we point our finger at Jesus and try to find a fault, you know that old thing, there's always three fingers pointing back at you? That's what's exactly going to happen to these Pharisees. They're pointing at Jesus, but it's going to come straight back at them. Jesus is perfect. He knows human conditions and human failures. So have a go at Jesus, and it's going to all turn around. And so the question that they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus asked them, what did Moses command you? And of course they knew. They knew it off the top of their mind. They, they'd studied the law many times. Mark chapter 10 verse 4, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. There's a matching passage in Matthew chapter 19 verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So we see here what's taking place. They're saying, well, can we just divorce for any reason? Is that, is that what's going on, Jesus? Is, is, is this the right way? This is our understanding. It's in the law. It must be good. Moses permitted it. So that's right. That's a, a just thing to do. But Jesus knew the condition of the human heart. 
And that's where he goes to right now. With human desires, Jesus touches in, in verse 5, by looking at the hard hearts. Mark 10, 5, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Jesus knew what was going on. It was sin that was bringing about the end of these marriages. Human failures. People weren't living God's way and the result was that relationships were breaking down and that was leaving, uh, leading to divorce. And so the whole point of this law was to bring order back to chaos after people made bad choices before God. People had turned away from God, made bad choices and so there had to be a system to set it right again so that systems could operate. That's what's taking place here and it comes back to the conditions of people's hearts. They'd made bad choices before God. And this law that we've just looked at, it is it similar to our divorce law today? Absolutely. Our divorce law, we don't need to give a reason to get divorced these days. People can get divorced for any reason as long as there's an understanding that it won't be reconciled and that you're going to live apart. That's the law in our current day, similar to writing out a certificate of divorce. But then Jesus straight away, he goes and lifts up the ideal of marriage. In the face of divorce, he redefines what is good. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So it's a picture of God's creation, a reference to Genesis 1 27 there. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis 2.24. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We see the image of, of male and female being created. And the picture of two, a husband and a wife to be, or a man and a woman coming together and becoming that one flesh as they're connected together as they, they choose to, to join into marriage, that special union that takes place, that, that time of blessing, uh, an intimate time, an intimate relationship, of course, including sex. The husband and wife come together to be joined. And in that, of course, God is involved in the marriage. And, the, and the, of course, it's a blessing from God, the very nature of, of, of marriage. Notice that it's repeated here, that whole point of two becoming one flesh because it's the way that God intended marriage to be. And then verse 9, often quoted in Christian uh, weddings, what, let, what, no, what God has joined together, let no one separate, the very picture that marriage should continue and that it shouldn't be pulled apart. So we see here a beautiful picture of what, good, a good picture of what marriage should be. And for us who are following Jesus Christ, who have committed our lives to Him, well, we need to remember that Jesus needs to remain central to our marriage. In, in the midst of, of, of two becoming one, we still remember that we have found life in Jesus. We've been saved. We've been blessed. He's our Lord. And so marriage is about ensuring that Jesus is central to the marriage. It's about the husband and wife, each seeking God's will. It's about each of us serve, wanting to serve the other. It's about husband and wife attempting to love truly. Is the best that we can in that one flesh relationship, the two becoming one. 
And this idea of a Jesus-centered marriage is affirmed in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, I'm going to pick up from verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the words and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what Christ has done for the church. And so verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. A beautiful picture of husbands genuinely loving their wives. Sacrificial love out of what Christ has done. It's a picture, of course, of, of the husband and wife relationship in love, uh, joining together beautifully as that one flesh. As we love ourselves, it means that we love our wives because we've come together in one flesh. Marriage, a Christian marriage, involves genuine love to one another, seeking to, to serve and to sacrificially give of one another to the building up of others. And I want to encourage us today, those that are married, Jesus has just lifted up. Let's encourage each other to, to invest time into our marriage and to, 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 to strengthen our marriages. Let's encourage our marriages to do well. Let's lift them up. So I've got a number of points here of things uh, to encourage us in our, in our walk. There are on the, on the handout as well. Uh, but things, practical things uh, that we, we might do to, to encourage our marriages. It's, it's something that we can encourage in others as well. But something for us to examine for ourselves. And yes, for people looking at sex is mentioned in there, uh, in the middle, and we'll get to that. Uh, but firstly, uh, to show love to our spouses. Uh, that, of course, is central. Jesus has loved us. We're to love our husband and wife, our spouse, whoever it is. We're to love them deeply. And that includes spending time together. It seems obvious, but people don't do it. Sometimes we get so busy with our farms or our work, uh, with all the children responsibility, all the kids stuff, all the responsibilities that come about and people stop spending time together. So part of being invested in marriage is that we invest time. We spend time and of course it leads into the second point that we actually do fun things together. It's not just about sitting about and, and talking about the budget and the the, the big things that we need to talk about, it's actually about going out and having fun. Of course, we would say to someone dating, oh, you should go out and do some fun stuff. And of course, it's the same in marriage. We don't stop having fun in marriage. We don't stop enjoying the relationship. We keep going out. And it doesn't need to cost lots of money to go out and have fun. There are plenty of things that we can do. Go for a nice walk somewhere or, or have a picnic somewhere. There are plenty of things that we can do. Uh, do a date night at home where it's about having some fun time together. There are plenty of things that we can do in marriage uh, which are good. So I'm saying yes to date nights, yes to going out and having fun, yes to spending time if you're married at the moment. Do it. It's a wonderful thing. And then the next point, sacrificially serve our spouse. That's a big one. Jesus has sacrificially given to us and so we're to show that to our husband and wife. It's for us to think about how can I serve, uh, not about uh, judging or, or having some sort of a list of let's, how many, many things have you done this week, how many have I done, it's not about that. 
It's about seeing there's a need out of love. I'm going to serve my, my husband or my wife. I'm going to, to give of myself so that they will be blessed and built up. I'm going to do what I can. I know for, for Beck and I, our marriage is the strongest when, when I'm really living that way. I'm, I'm not keeping account of what's happening. I'm just serving. I'm just seeing there's a need and I'm trying to, to really do something to build up the marriage. Living in a, in a loving, generous way. And then, uh, of course, we need to keep God at the center of our marriage. For some, uh, this is hard because um, there's a non-Christian partner involved. Uh, in the in the situation and that makes it very difficult but from for where we can let us try the best that we can to keep God central in our marriage for each husband and wife to seek God and to talk about God to read the Bible together to encourage the things of God in our marriage that God may be central and so from that uh, we have a wonderful base to love each other and to serve each other uh, and then we come to uh, the reminder in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that part of that one flesh union, part of that desire to, to be married is that we continue to have sex with each other. Sexual intercourse as part of marriage, that one flesh. Of course, there's times when it's not always possible, uh, times when uh, maybe uh, someone is, is, um, is ill or, or not capable. Um, but the reality is for most situations, it, it can and it should continue. Sex is not about a bargaining tool. It's not about trying to, to get something in return for, for sexual um, pleasure. Uh, and it's, sex is never about withholding as well. Uh, pick up the book of Genesis and you'll see terrible examples of, of men withholding sex from women so that they wouldn't get pregnant. Uh, we see situations throughout the Bible of people withholding sex within the marriage. That's not the point. The whole point is for us in that one flesh reunion, a union, to, to enjoy each other's company, included in sex. And of course, a, a very positive thing is to encourage your spouse. We're not there in marriage to, to keep a, a list of things that they've done wrong. We're to encourage them, to notice what they're doing well and actually say something, say, I really value what you did there. Or we can even respond, encourage them by, by responding to something kind, by doing something ourselves that's positive to build up the relationship. Encouraging our spouse, I've found when I encourage Beck, it encourages her to do more and the, my marriage is strengthened. If I get critical and start to pull her down, then it's actually a really negative result. Uh, it's, it's the wrong way to do it. Uh, and, and the same, talk positively about your spouse. It's very easy to go out and to start saying, oh, at home, this isn't going right, this isn't going well. And, and it, can, it can really... Um, have a negative impact in the way that we're thinking and the way that we're portraying our marriage, let's try to t find something positive that we can say because I'm sure if we think about it, there are many positive things that we can find about our husband and wife that we can say. The next one, of course, we should always turn away from sin, but the problem uh, when we're married and sin is that it not only impacts us, it impacts our spouse as well. Uh, the, the sin even has a greater consequence. Whatever it is, we need to take sin seriously. We need to repent and turn away and realize that it hurts others as well. And then, the, the point at the end, home relationships before church ministry. Many marriages break down because people are so focused on church ministry, they're not actually investing in the home. 
they're not present and then hardship comes and the relationship is severed and it's really hard. And there are biblical reminders that we should be investing in our home relationship before we go out uh, to serve. One of those is in, in context to being an elder in the church um, and also there's, there's other references about how important that relationship is in the home. And so we need to work on those home relationships with our spouse and with our children as well. If that means that we need to do less at Cora Baptist Church, I'm happy. I'd prefer that we did less and that our marriages were strong, that we were serving Christ in our homes. Uh, and I'm sure that if all our marriages were going from strength to strength, we'd be a wonderful light to this world just in doing that. Sometimes it's less about us doing and it's so much about us putting Christ first with the people that are very much before us right now. Let's do it. Let's do these things. Let's live this out in our marriages. Maybe you could add something else to this list that you would recommend for a, a husband and wife to do, to serve each other. And good marriages are doing a number of these things, are working at them and trying and, and trying to live it out. So my first plea today is, let's have a go. Let's try to, to, to promote Christian marriage. We're not married ourselves. Maybe we can encourage this in someone else. But if we are married, let's have a go. Let's try to do that. And of course, the reality is, is that one or two or a number of these things start falling out and that's when trouble starts in our marriages. And trouble, of course, leads to heartache and that leads into the, the other side of today uh, and that, of course, is divorce. Uh, everything doesn't go perfectly. Uh, as we saw at the start, there are many divorces still today. And within this ideal picture of marriage and how we want to lift up marriage, there's also the reality that divorce still takes place. And Jesus has already told us why. It's because we have hard hearts. We're selfish and we get a bit of pride in us and then in our human condition, we get quite hurtful to the other person. That's exactly how divorce takes place. Divorce happens and then there's serious bad consequences that, that happen. Jesus is very clear about that at the end of the reading today. In verse 11 and 12, he answers, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. What we see here is a, a pattern of sin that, that starts affecting other people. It's a downward cycle. If, if we're in a, a divorce situation and we then go and join in that one flesh with another person, our actions are then bringing about sin to that person as we join with them. And so more people are being caught up in this cycle of, of, of sin. That's what Jesus is getting about. It doesn't matter if it's the husband or wife. If we then go on and, and join with someone else in that one flesh connection, then it's impacting them as well. And our sin is hurting others. It's our bad actions that lead others into sin. Jesus reinforced, also mentioned this in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5.31. As it has been said, said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That's that same question that the Pharisees asked before. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We see here a similar call. That downward cycle of sin leads to other consequences. But it is, of course, the special condition that Jesus points out. That if someone goes and has sex outside of marriage, in sexual immorality, 
then that effectively is breaking that, 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 that special two becoming one flesh. By someone going and, and linking with someone else, that's, that's broken that, that, that coming together in marriage. That, that, that whole concept has been blown apart by the actions of someone. In that case, the whole um, relationship has broken down. The, the very first vows and everything associated with the one flesh has been broken. Jesus acknowledges that. And so, in that one flesh breakage, that of course has impacted uh, the marriage. And so, it takes, inc- uh, you hear sometimes of people reconciling after that has taken place, and that's incredible when people forgive after adultery is taking place. But the reality is, is that it has deeply damaged the marriage, and it's very hard to reconcile from there. But the reminder here is that if we take God seriously, we should take our marriage seriously. And because divorce is messy. Uh, one of the common reactions within the church, uh, without a doubt, or Christians in general, is that we see someone going through divorce and we get quite judgmental. We think, oh, how could they do that? God values marriage. How are they, going, how are they getting divorced? What are they doing? We don't really understand the circumstances because we're not in the home. We don't understand all the facts behind it, but we're so quick to judge and tell them that they're sinning and doing the wrong thing. We, we don't realize that there could have been abuse or there could have been adultery. There could have been sin abounding in the home. We don't know, and yet we're so quick to get judgmental. Jesus, of course, speaks to this in the, the Sermon of the Mount as well. Do not judge, and you too will not be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Is this it true even as we see someone's marriage going through difficulties? Yes, absolutely. You might remember Jesus. He went and spent time with the woman at the well. That woman at the well, who remembers how many marriages that she'd already been in previously? Uh, five, that's right. Exactly five marriages and he was with another, she was with another man at the time and yet Jesus went with her. He acknowledged that situation, but he appointed her to living water and finding everlasting life. He was quick to forgive her and to point her in the right direction because Jesus was a friend with sinners. Jesus brought a blessing to that situation, not judgment. And I guess that as the text goes on, uh, in Matthew, it talks about don't look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you have that plank in your own eye. And we've got a good picture here. And I, I like this picture a lot because it's a picture of someone trying to tower over someone else thinking that they are a higher and mightier than someone else, uh, which of course is a terrible situation in marriage or a terrible situation if we're judging someone who is going through divorce. Uh, we need to deal with, take our own sin seriously as it says there, but also we need to be slow to judge and quick to, to love and care for others. I guess that uh, leaves a question in the background. Are there valid grounds for divorce in the church? Um, the Catholic Church says no, and I, I respect that there are, are scriptural reasons why they might do that, going back all the way to Genesis. Um, in, in the Catholic Church, a marriage has to be annulled, and that means it needs to be proved that it was invalid in the first place, that the, the vows uh, made by those parties were invalid, and so that the marriage is, 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 is taken apart. Uh, they accept, of course, that you can separate, but they would not allow then uh, a mar- another marriage to take place. In the Protestant tradition, right back to the Reformation, there's always been that in the Protestant church, uh, there are valid grounds for divorce. 
Of course, adultery, as Jesus just said, is one grounds. Abandonment is also talked about in that 2 Corinthians 7. There's other passages that talk about a neglect and abuse. Um, uh, and I guess the whole idea of people are deliberately sinning in a marriage. Uh, if they're deliberately making it hard for someone to walk with the Lord. And we need to carefully consider these options. If this is a whole subject that you're interested in, I've written a whole essay at, at Bible College on it. I'm happy to, to send that on and have a, an ongoing discussion. But it's a, a huge conversation that is much bigger than we have time for today. Um, but if it's interests you and you want to engage with it, then, then I'm happy to have the chat. But of course, we don't want to focus too much on divorce. I want to lift up Christian marriage because uh, that's the ideal. And of course, I want us to love those who are going through a difficult time in their divorce. That will be slow to judge. So yes, let us lift up Christian marriage. Let us affirm that it's a good thing. If we're a husband, let us love our wives dearly. If we're a wife, love our husbands dearly. Let's serve one another. If we're not married at the moment, well, maybe we can encourage a marriage or, or do something to, to help a married couple out. For those that are going through divorce, let's show love and, and concern. 1 John 4, 19 to 20 is a good reminder for all that we've just talked about today. We love because He first loved us. That's talking about God's love to us through Jesus Christ. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the reality is, is if we love God, then of course that we will love others. Genuine love. Loving each other and building each other up in the ways of God. And so my hope and prayer is that our marriages will go from strength to strength. That we'll actually invest time in our marriages and that we'll encourage them. And for those that are are going through a difficulty in this front, let's pray for, for one another and let's pray that God will work and bring about good things. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of love. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the whole uh, concept of marriage that goes right back to Genesis, stuck to creation, of a man and a woman coming together in one flesh. Help us, our Lord God, to, to lift up our marriages in our church to thank you for the wonderful gift that you've given us of marriage. Help us, our Lord God, if we're married, to be full of love. And Lord God, help us to have a heart for those that are grieving, who are hurting, who have been through difficulties when it comes to divorce. Lord, help us to remember your love in the midst of all that takes place. And we give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.